0: Deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. It was a strange week for Florida football as Hurricane Matthew forced the postponement of the LSU game and members of the extended Gator family were left to deal with the aftermath of the storm and its devastating effects. Priorities were made very clear by everyone involved and football had to be set aside for the week, with questions still lingering about if and when the LSU game will be rescheduled. We don't have those answers today, but what we do have is a preview of homecoming weekend for the Gators, including conversations with defensive tackle Kerry Clark and linebackers coach Randy Shannon, plus a roundtable discussion with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, injuries have struck the defensive line hard in the first half of the season, but that's allowed new playmakers to emerge. One of those is Kerry Clark, who's made a big impact at defensive tackle and now has multiple starts under his belt. We spoke with the redshirt sophomore about his growth on and off the field, but started by asking what this strange last week was like for the players.
0: Yeah, man, I feel like last week it was pretty difficult to go through because of the fact of uh, us practicing very, very hard last week, you know, um, getting, trying to get prepared for LSU, and then us finding out that the game was canceled because of the storm and whatnot, it was a real downer for us.
1: What were some of the stories you heard from your teammates? Because we heard the number over 50 guys were personally affected, their families were. What were some of the stories that you heard from your teammates?
0: Yeah, man, I just know um, there's a lot of people um, on my team from Florida. And, you know, it's a lot of them that have families in different parts of Florida. And the storm was heading in in their directions um, to hit them and stuff. And I just know that it's some of my teammates that got affected by the storm with their families.
1: Being from South Florida, did you have any experience yourself growing up when hurricane really affected you as well?
0: Uh, absolutely. When I was younger, um, me because I'm from Miami, um, we used to have a lot of hurricanes with me growing up. But it wasn't as, it, it wasn't really as bad as probably like bigger hurricanes. But I've been through the experience. There was a lot of talk on social media, and and fans were
1: involved in it. Other fans got involved from other SEC schools about why the game wasn't played. All the crazy conspiracy theories. What was the reaction inside the locker room to all the people out there saying that, oh, Florida didn't want to play the game and all that noise that was out there?
0: Um, honestly, I feel like it was kind of a disappointing feeling because of the fact of that us as a team, we know that we wanted to play LSU so bad because it's a big SEC game, and we all prepared for it very hard last week, and it was a downer that we couldn't play them because of the storm, and people have to realize that we have families you know that live in Florida, mm-hmm. and like we get affected by it, so we've got to make sure our families are okay.
1: Now, your name is interesting because it's pronounced Carrie, but it, it looks a little bit different. Where does your name come from? What's the origin of it?
0: Um, I honestly can't tell you that. I mean, my mom actually was the person that came up with my name. It's kind of different because my mom's name is uh, kind of different, too. Her name is Uwezo. So like it's, How do you it's, spell that? Uh, U-W-E-Z-O. Wow. Yeah. And then you spell your name? K-H-A-I-R-I.
1: So when you go to Starbucks or something, what, what do you tell them to put on the cup? man i just tell him to
0: put (laughs) Carrie like k-e-r-r-y yeah because usually people can't spell my name correctly
1: (laughs) you've talked before about your childhood and about where you came from i know it's it's a little bit of a difficult background, it's single mom, only child. Can you just talk about kind of how you were shaped growing up?
0: Oh, man, yeah, me growing up, man, I was the only child and I was only raised by my mom. I mean, she shaped me out real good because she had to play the mom and dad role. So she had that part in the heart where she was soft on me and then that part where she had to be real tough on me to discipline me as a uh, as her son. So it was real good growing up with my mom. You know, she shaped me out to be a great young man, never got in trouble. I always stayed on the right track of everything. You've also talked about your work ethic coming directly from your mom. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My mom used to be in um, part of law enforcement, so she was always a hard worker, always working, you know, always working to provide for me. So I'm kind of feeding off her because uh, I notice all the years that she's been working and kind of makes me want to work just as hard and maybe even harder than her.
1: So she was a police dispatcher. So yeah. did you get really interested
0: in law enforcement because of that? Did you hear lots of stories? Um, yeah, I used to hear a lot of stories, but, I mean, I never really got uh, interested in you know being in that field, but like it's it's kind of interesting to know about what she did and whatnot and how hard she works. What
1: aspect of that has kind of affected your path in terms of learning about what she did and how she kind of impacted the community? How, how did that affect you?
0: Oh, it affected me because it kind of made me uh, just always want to do the right thing, you know, because the way she works and the way she's brought me up and everything that I've saw, like, growing up, like, on TV and in person, like, it just always made me just want to do the right thing to get to the next level.
1: You talked a lot about that bond with your mom and, and how important that is. Now that you're here at Florida and you're away from home, how has that sort of evolved? How has that changed?
0: Um, it's changed real big because, like I said, I was an only child growing up. All I had was my mom, man, and, you know, she was always my go-to. She was my number one lady, and, I mean, me moving up here, it was very hard to adjust to, but after a while, man, I just had to get used to it, still call it every day because I love it so much, but it's just an adjustment. How did you first get involved in, in football? Um, I first got involved with football from uh, when I was younger. I had stayed in Maryland um, for a year with my uncle, which was my mom's brother, and then he actually got me involved in the sport up there, so he actually was the one that brought me into football.
1: So when you're growing up and it's, it's just your mom – Who's helping you on the football side? Did you have people, mentors that helped you out that you looked up to along the way?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I could say it was my family. Really, I had my mom, I had my two uncles, and I had like the rest of my family. You know, like encouraging me, like with football. And then I had like just different coaches that I played like little league football with that always like kept in touch with me and helped me out.
1: When you're going through the process of recruiting, and everybody starting your getting the letters, you open your mailbox, they're all there what were some of the schools that you were considering and ultimately why did you choose Florida?
0: Oh man, I could probably say that, um, the two highest schools I was considering was Florida and Miami. And it was a uh, kind of a hard choice to uh, choose from because, you know, I was from Miami and then Miami was right in my backyard. And then I had Florida, which is right up here, not too far away. And then my decision came down on, you know, just getting up here to visit Florida and see how it's like a real college campus. And I can experience, like, living on my own, not too far away from home, but being, like, probably four or five hours away from home just to get that discipline, like, on my own.
1: People talk a lot about that pull of family. And sometimes they want you to go somewhere and you want to go somewhere else. Was it hard when you had an offer and a chance to play close to home? How difficult was it to make that decision to, to come up to Gainesville?
0: Oh, man, it was very difficult because – I mean, I can't even lie. It was a lot of people expecting me to stay home and, you know, play, play sure. for my city and whatnot. But I made the decision to, you know, come to Florida because I experienced everything I experienced on my, on my visit, and I felt like it would have been the right spot for me.
1: I know this past offseason you really committed yourself to losing a lot of weight. Yeah. What triggered you? What what told you that you needed to lose weight and that was going to be important for you?
0: Um, What told me that I needed to lose weight was that um I just told myself that I want to be able to be a key factor in this defense this year you know I want to be able to be on the D line playing nose tackle being you know disruptive you know getting in the backfield you know handling double teams better than I can and actually just getting quicker off the ball
1: when you don't have practices built in and and all things there that are going to help you lose weight what what did you do how did you go about losing all that weight
0: oh man I will honestly say the main thing I did was just change my eating habits you know I would start eating a lot more salads and, you know, just eating little uh, portions of food a day and whatnot. You've talked about your commitment to
1: that and how, in your mind, that was really showing people what a hard worker you were. What else would people not know about you? What are some other things that would surprise people to hear about you?
0: Um, Some other things that people would be surprised about is uh, my determination to work and you know just work as hard as I can man a lot of people see that uh probably wouldn't see that from me but I feel like inside I'm probably the one of the hardest working uh um players on this team and I feel like with my mindset I can just accomplish anything that I want to if I set my mind to it
1: what else outside of football do you do when you have the time what What are your interests outside of football
0: um outside of football man I'm re- I really I can't even lie I usually like to um go back home you know kick it with my family you know be back in my environment um you know, probably uh, you know, probably go see movies. I like to sleep. I like to go out to eat. <laughs> great <and stuff>. hobby. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: So, getting back into football a little bit, I'm curious. This unit you're a part of, it obviously has a lot of depth, and and you've had a chance to really show that because of all the injuries. What's it been like, really growing with this unit with so much experience now, and also young guys like you that are that are making an impact?
0: Oh yeah, man, it's been a great experience because you know I still got a. Uh, couple of older guys in front of me, so, you know, I feed off them. You know, uh, I got Caleb Brantley, Joey Ivey, Brian Cox, Jordan Sher, you know, those guys I still look up to, even though I'm considered an older guy now. I still look above for, uh, you know, like comfort and um, education on the game of football.
1: It's always interesting to find out influences on players and and who has influenced you and who you then pass things on to. Can you think of something in particular that one of the older guys you've played with has taught you and then something that you have then passed on to one of your younger teammates?
0: Oh yeah, um I feel like uh a lot of the older guys just tell me that um if I just set my mind to it, I can just nobody nobody can stop me whether it's uh with a double team or you know is just with like getting off the ball with strength, you know, like throwing somebody off of me because you know, I, I I'm built. I'm built for uh my position and I feel like I can just do anything that I want to. How challenging
1: is it to stay healthy during the course of this season? Because we have seen a lot of your teammates struggle with that, especially on the line. What What is the challenge like?
0: Um, Yeah, uh, it's a lot of our teammates, you know, uh, they don't have the opportunity to stay as healthy as they want to. But I mean, at the same time, like in my perspective, I feel like with me, it's not really a big deal of me staying healthy Um, because I always stay healthy. Usually, like, if I get banged up, you know, I'm going to just fight my way through it. Like, I'm a tough guy, man. I just like to always be out on the field. And, you know, if I I do get a little banged up, I'm going to get treatment on it and, you know, protect myself from uh, hurting it even worse. So I just get in the training room as much as I can and try to protect myself so I can always be on the field.
1: Beyond people you've played with, I always like to hear who influences players to the next level. Are there any guys you watch in the NFL that you say – I want to be like that guy or that's someone whose career I'd like to follow?
0: Oh, absolutely, man. Um, some of the NFL players that I like, I would definitely say um, I'm a huge Adomac and Sue fan. I like uh, um, Olivier Vernon. I like Dante Fowler. Um, I like uh, – who else do I like? I like Vernon Hargraves. Um I was a big uh, – even though he's not in my position category, um, I was a big fan of Peyton Manning. He was probably one of my favorite football players before he retired, so – yeah. You mentioned
1: a couple guys that you used to play with. They were teammates of yours. Yeah. Is it strange now seeing the Dante Fowlers and the Vernon Hargraves playing on Sundays when you're used to having them in your locker room?
0: I wouldn't even call it strange, man. I would really just say it's very, very motivational and it's very, very, like, tempting to know that, like, those guys are at the next level. And I was able to, you know – have an opportunity to play with them um, while they were here and when I was here. So I, got, I was able to hang out with those guys and, you know, hear about their background and, you know, their personality and their style of play. And it's just very motivational because I looked up to those guys. This
1: weekend is homecoming, and part of that is Gator Grow, which this year is basically a music festival. So I'm curious, if you were booking the acts, who would be the four artists that you would put if you were planning your own Gator Grow and your own music festival?
0: Um, the four artists that I would put like randomly, if I can just put anybody it could
1: be anybody, it could be from um, any any genre, anything.
0: Okay. Um, artist-wise, I'll probably say I like Rick Ross, I like uh, Kodak Black, um, I like Twenty One Savage, um, and then the last one that I would say probably Lil Wayne. Okay, A little Miami influence yeah. with uh, with Rick Ross yeah. in there.
1: Last thing before you, Care, I want to talk about this weekend and this game against Missouri. Just take us through the mindset of the defensive line and what you guys have specifically been preparing for with the Tigers coming into town.
0: Uh, Honestly, I can just say, man, we've just been preparing for it all. I mean, it's not that we're just looking into the Missouri Tigers and their style of play. We're just looking to – make ourselves known that we are actually the Florida Gators that uh, can really come out and just dominate for the rest of this season. So we're just setting our minds to uh, prepare ourselves to, you know, just be dominant for the rest of the season, not just one game. Most would agree the heart and soul
1: of the Gator defense rests in its linebacking core, with playmaking stars like Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone leading the way. Florida is fortunate to have Randy Shannon running that elite unit for a second consecutive season, and he spoke with Jeff Cardozo about how they shape up heading
2: into homecoming. Well, we feel pretty good about things that are going on. We feel healthy. You know, guys are coming back, bouncing back, and it's an opportunity to play another game, something that you enjoy to do on this great day. And uh, we just have to go out here and play like it's a game that we have to improve on.
3: It's uh, certainly quirky that you guys got canceled last week. How has the team been in, in trying to lose that game and now get ready for another game?
2: It's been great. It's been great. Guys have been very positive and uh, they've been having a great week of practice. Guys have been flying around, having fun, you know, talking the whole aspects about Missouri, you know, getting better as a football team, trying to win another SEC game and then also it's a division game, it's an east game. So, guys are really excited about getting out here and playing.
3: When you look at Missouri, the explosive plays jump out at you. They, they do a, a quite a bit of that, and it's certainly a new offense. So it's going to be a tough challenge.
2: Always a challenge when you play a team of this high caliber of, of talent. Uh, the quarterback is doing a tremendous job of throwing the ball downfield. they got some great tall receivers, 6'2", 6'3", guys that has great speed. And, uh, you know, nine explosive plays a game is scary for any defense, and we've got to go out and control those things, win the first down. We have to control the ball game of trying to get three yards or less on first down to get them in that third down long to give us opportunity to get our pass rush going, but also get off the football field.
3: They, uh, they certainly do a good job of throwing the football, but maybe not so much in the run game. Do you try to make them one dimensional?
2: Try to, you have to. You know, if they can able to run the ball and get four or five pops here and there, then now they have an opportunity to go to the play action and getting deep balls. But if we can control their run game to make it a continue just a pass game and cut down their reps in the game, they're averaging about 80 to 85 plays a game. We need to cut that down to about maybe about 70 to 75 plays a game to have us a chance to do what we have to get done on defense.
3: Does that stress the importance then of subbing guys in and out to try to stay with what they're trying to do tempo-wise?
2: That would be big for us. When they substitute, we allow allowed to substitute. It won't be a hurry, hurry situation. We're going to take our time, substitute when they make the substitution. Now, when they in a hurry, hurry offense, they don't make substitution. we got to get set, get the calls, get down, and like we say, get a foot in the ground, get planted, and play the game.
3: Seems like uh, forever since we, we've seen a game inside the swamp, uh, being, being away. But obviously the, the loudness of Tennessee, and then you don't have as, as much in Vandy. But communication, how, how has that been now uh, trying to get back home?
2: It's been great. You know, that's the one thing that uh, we always do. We always stress the point of communicating. And for us defensively, it's going to be a loud atmosphere because of the offense going to be on the football field. So the, the loud, the, trill, the, the noise here is going to be tremendous. We're excited about it. Uh, our offense excited about getting the chance to come back and play back home in the swamp, and uh, it's going to be a great feeling.
3: When you look at the guys, uh, your position, uh, certainly Anzalone and, and Davis. Uh, how do you assess where, they've, where they are right now?
2: They're doing a great job. I mean, those guys coming back, you know, Jared coming back, Anzalone coming off injury has been tremendous for us. They've been helping with the young guys on the football team, but also they bring in a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of things. Those guys come out and work each and every day. to expect them guys to fly around and have fun.
3: Jared was really good in pass coverage in the Vandy game. Is that something you guys have really worked on?
2: Worked on it tremendously. You know, every week we try to find something that we can work on as a group, and that was one of the things that we continue we had to work on each time that we see it in film, that we have to keep working on our pass coverage. And he's done a tremendous job of really working on it and doing those things.
3: For Anzalone as well, I know you're probably excited to see him. You looked at the first couple of games of last year before he got hurt, how important he was going to be to that defense. And so now to, to have a five, six-game stretch, it's been really big, hasn't
2: it? It's been great for him. You know, it's kind of ironic. You know, he'll come off the football field and say, Coach, I really haven't done anything. And, you know, all of a sudden he's making all these plays. But in his mind, he really have not created a lot of – a big time plays that he see fits to help us out on defense and that's a good thing for him because he want to get better. He's not selling for what he's done.
3: Everybody's written the, the Thor stories. Coach Mack called him Cousin It. Do you have a, a nickname for Anzalone?
2: I don't have no ends and All I call <laughs> him is Double A.
3: Just as you look at now the, the defense as a whole, obviously the numbers are really, really good but I know you're, you're one of those guys that really stresses, hey, we can still get better each week, can't we?
2: We can. We can. You know, like anything else everybody said, well, you're in the top five in every category. Yeah, but let's get up and move up to four. Then continue to move up each week to where we can be number one in every category. That's always the goal of each player on the team is to be number one, be the best as you can be. You can be number one on defense. You can be number one on special teams, number one in the country, number one on offense. But let's get that today and work on what we have to get done today.
3: You know, football is such a big chess match, so they're going to probably do some offensive things that you haven't seen on film, and that's the point. You guys try to do something that they haven't seen. So, so how do you gauge that during a week and trying to figure out what's the best way to attack them?
2: Well, you always, you know, when people say you're a fast football team, they always want to get misdirection plays, get you going one day to try to hurt you coming back. And we've been seeing that a lot. Last couple of games, a lot of throwback to the running back, throwback to the tight end, throwback to a guy sneaking out late those things has really, really come up on film and uh, we just got to play the game. Don't worry about those. You got to let the, the technique and the call handle those type of things.
3: You guys have some, uh, some young guys on the defensive line. I know there's not really freshmen anymore, so are you pleased with their play?
2: Yeah, really, really enthused. They came in last week, did a great job for us against Van. You know Vanderbilt You know a couple of weeks ago. Not last week, but a couple of weeks ago. And we expect those guys to get in and play 15, 20 plays. If those guys can give us 20, 15 plays a game with the other guys playing about 25 to 30, that's tremendous. That means that no one on the field will ever be tired. Hey, hey.
1: The postponement of the Florida LSU game generated something of a social media firestorm in the last week, with fans from both sides and even other SEC schools throwing their two cents into the discussion. So before we broke down the matchup against Missouri and more, Chris Harry and Scott Carter shared their thoughts and sought to separate fact from fiction. I mean,
4: if we just step back and look at some things sensibly, they had a Category 4 hurricane bearing down on our coast. 52 of Florida's players on the roster had family in the pink area of the hurricane warning, which is the worst part of the storm. Um, all this was, was Thursday, okay, two days before the game, and nobody had any clue what the storm was going to do. So you you brace for the worst. And, and you know, but canceling the game – was exactly what needed to happen. And the fact that on Saturday it was beautiful weather here and perfect conditions for a football game, that's good. That was good. And the fact that we had... One inch of rain here in Gainesville, and the LSU people are making fun of that. What do they want us to have? 18 inches of rain, and and you know people's cats and dogs and us swimming through our streets. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is this it, it, it was just it was just ludicrous. Um, the right thing was done, and, and bottom line is that Adam, they didn't have to decide whether or not the game was going to be played last week. It didn't have to be. There, there's going to be some avenues and some things that go mm. back and forth to decide what's going to happen with this football game, but it didn't have to be decided last week. Now it's in some people's hands. LSU has has said what they said. They they say that they're they're not giving up their home game November 19th. Uh, Florida has said we'll we'll work with the league, see what happens. SEC is going to have to ultimately make a decision. Where that goes as of this moment, we don't know. But it looks like the only viable options are that November 19th or maybe delaying the SEC championship game. And those are decisions that neither Florida or LSU are going to make. Those are decisions that the conference is going to make.
5: Uh, from my standpoint, what struck me through all this was, I thought it was the uh, a perfect storm for social media. I mean, it was entertaining. Sure. It was sad. It was delusional Just to kind of be on Twitter. Sad and delusional. <laughs> I don't, don't want to know what your mentions this look thing like. The two of you over the weekend, I can't oh.
1: imagine the LSU fans coming after you. Let's with not pitchforks. forget the Tennessee fans. Oh, sure. Yeah. The, the Tennessee t- the, the, fans, Tennessee the fans Tennessee are right Tennessee. in the middle of the thing, The too. Tennessee fans, a lot of them on Twitter, almost making it like the, some sort of conspiracy yeah. theory to deny them a trip to Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, which is the craziest part yeah, of Yeah, well, as,
4: as if the storm had anything to do with them turning the ball over seven times at Texas A&M. So it all the demographics and dynamics with Tennessee fans changed Saturday night night too so now obviously they have a vested interest to want to have the game played but Scott's right it was a it was a cesspool of social media at the time
5: yeah I'm glad to see that it seems like some reason has come back into it you know as the week the second weeks progressed here because by Friday and like Chris said on Thursday uh, it was a little bit out of control and, and what really struck me the most and this comes from a guy who totally understands a beat riders job who mm-hmm. has done that job chris has too i was a little surprised that the lsu beat media bought into the theory that florida was trying to dodge this game and that they should have come out to baton rouge and played this game with no questions asked i mean that's just not the way it works and and that narrative became so popular in the regular traditional media then it blew up on social media Mm -hmm. and then what you saw by the weekend when we saw how serious Hurricane Matthew was and some of the uh, hurdles Florida had to face with uh, in terms of the game, then I think some more national folks started, eh, you know, back off LSU guys a little bit. You know, this is pretty serious stuff. It's beyond just getting on a plane, find out to Baton Rouge playing a football game and coming back. I mean, there was a lot of other stuff going it's, on. It's
4: funny how that narrative was, why, why won't Florida come to Baton Rouge? The whole thing is, you know, giving up a home game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you want, Florida wants to play that game at home, of course, it's their home game, mm-hmm. but now LSU is in a predicament or, or has drawn a line in the sand saying they don't want to give up their home game November 19th. Well what is the difference? So, I mean, yeah. the difference is, you know, their fans would be cheated at home game. I understand that. That's why there's so few solutions to this thing. That's why the conference office is going to step in. But he's absolutely right. It, there were some some people that I respect a lot uh, in the business that I've dealt with in years dealing with the Southeastern Conference, r- reporters, for Like you know, guys that are have objectivity. Was, you know, through, <laughs> It was, it was almost really like it was personal. <laughs> it, was, right. it, was, it, mean, was, it was really, really I just, bizarre, Adam. What I right.
5: really can't wait for, guys, <laughs> is when... ESPN's 30 for 30 comes out on this <laughs> in a few years. They start featuring the, twi- the Twitter feeds. It's going gonna, gonna to be great to see some of the on-camera interviews of interview the fans who tweeted n- out there. At,
1: at Tennessee Vol 87 <laughs> yeah. is inside information why the game wasn't And
5: placed. as
4: long as we're on the subject, these are LSU people, which means they're Louisiana people, which means they, under, they should understand sure. the s- significance and seriousness of a storm of this magnitude. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Um, It'll get rectified one way or the other. If it doesn't get played, the world is not going to end. Okay, it's not going to end in Baton Rouge. It's not going to end in Gainesville. It's not going to end in Knoxville. Um, There may be some upset people about it, but, you know, that's just maybe what happens. We don't know, and we just got to let the thing play out. In the interim, Adam, Missouri Tigers are coming to town for a football game against the Florida Gators this week. Up in Knoxville, they shouldn't be worrying about what's Mm -hmm. going – that Florida has to play LSU or may not play LSU – they got Alabama coming in, and
1: certainly LSU has their own stuff they have to worry about. So moving on to Missouri, because that is the task at hand, as Jim McElwain reminded everybody at his press conference, what are we expecting from this matchup, Scott? Because if you look at Florida over the last six quarters, it's been a struggle offensively. They've had two weeks now, essentially. What do they do in the swamp against Missouri to kind of rectify the way they've
5: looked over the last six quarters? I mean, the big storyline for the Florida offense is the, the return of Luke Del Rio. They're getting their quarterback back, and when you look at the offensive numbers, they were better with Del Rio back there. Appleby had that memorable first half at Tennessee. They had a nice lead. He threw some nice balls down the field, and uh, but since then, those last six quarters have kind of been brutal, and a lot of it has been blamed on the offensive line, and certainly there's some, uh, been some concerns there with guys being injured. Uh, Tyler Jordan came back against Vanderbilt. He'll be back. Fred Johnson's been moving around. David Sharpe's health has been a question mark, but it sounds like he's going to play against Missouri. So I think maybe that extra week, if anything, helped that group kind of uh, get healthier. And having Del Rio back who, you know, from what we've seen, he seems to be comfortable in what they want to do offensively. Uh, he's got six touchdown passes, two picks, and, and for the most part afford to move the ball. Of course, not exactly the level of competition that, Appleby had to face at Tennessee. Mm. So there is going to be that with Missouri coming to town, traditionally a a good defensive uh, program. They got Barry Odom, a first-year head coach, their former defensive coordinator. So, I mean, he's going to challenge the Florida offense. I'm sure he's seen some of the scenes on film, their struggles that you asked about. So he'll have a good plan. But for Florida's offense, I think they'll be a little rejuvenated with Luke Del Rio back in there.
4: You gotta get something going in the running game and I think Florida got a, a a little bit of we saw a little bit of that um up at Vanderbilt from Jordan Scarlet. You know, it seems like uh Florida ha- is doing this obviously doing a running back by committee kind of thing and maybe looking for the hot hand or whatever you uh Scarlet had the had the better of those runs. I mean up there. Um I don't know if there's one guy, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna play that way, if if you're ever gonna get one guy going or if you're gonna stick with one guy. And again, I'm not even sure if that's the answer. But at the same time, you know, Florida didn't hit any you know big pass plays. They had one really nice uh, backed up play. The Austin Appleby found tight end Siante Lewis on a play they've been working on for uh, for throughout preseason for that particular situation. It was a thing of beauty, I thought. But um, it, it didn't see enough of that stuff. They got to have more explosive plays. And this is kind of like a a conversation we've been having for uh, for a few years around here. I'm just looking at Missouri coming in and and. <laughs> what LSU did to them, they were able to run the ball, had over 400 yards rushing, oh, 670-some yards of total offense against this Missouri team. So maybe there's some vulnerability that Florida can take advantage of. But I don't think Florida, obviously, is the power running team that, that LSU is. Maybe they can become that. Um, flip the side over, and as far as Missouri offensively, I'm just looking at some of these statistics here, Adam, and you know, passing offense, they're, they're first in the league. Uh, scoring offense, they're fourth in the league, but I'm also looking two of their games. They won by a combined score of 140 to 21 against Eastern Michigan and Delaware State. So some of those numbers are skewed. So this could this could be a game as long as Florida. Doesn't turn the ball over. They ought to be able to do some things. And I'm with Scott. Uh, Luke Del Rio is is the guy, we're going to assume he's healthy. Um, We're going to assume that he took a good amount of reps last week in preparation for the LSU game. And uh, he's more of a guy, the game management kind of guy versus Austin Apple. Maybe maybe try to go over the top a little bit more. Um, But I just think he's probably the better suit for this team right now um, relative to what they want to do as far as uh, let's get some stuff going on with some guys downfield, more explosive plays, whether that's Antonio Callaway, who didn't have a big game, uh, certainly up at Vanderbilt, is Tyree Cleveland, who's made a couple big plays, and maybe one catch here, one catch there, things that kind of open your eyes a little bit. But you want to see some things more downfield. I'd like to see some more things maybe in the using the more of the middle of the field, middle third of the field. Haven't seen a, a, a whole lot of that. Maybe it hasn't been there, but... There's, there's plays out there to be had. The Gators have to make him, and certainly, like Scott said, the offensive line has to help
1: make that happen. Scott, one of the big concerns going into last week was just overall health, especially on that defensive line. Where do things stand as of now, health-wise, going into homecoming?
5: Well, I mean, you're still going to be without Joy Ivey, and it sounds like Jordan Sherritt. Um, both of those guys, uh, Ivey's defensive tackle, Sherritt works out on the end, and uh, you know that's a big loss. That's half your starting lineup. Caleb Branley you know, he got hurt up in uh, Vanderbilt with his hand and he taped it up and went back and forth some. I think he's going to be fine. They're just going to continue to rely on a lot of the young guys we saw at Vanderbilt. Uh, Antonius Clayton we saw for the first time as a Gator. Uh, you know, C.C. Jefferson's played a lot. Uh, Kawanus Davis, uh, Davis, I'm sorry. So, I mean, they're, you're going to see a lot of those guys coming in and out, and they'll rely on Brantley and Kerry Clark and uh, C.C. and, just get what they can out of those guys because when you lose two players like Jordan Sherritt and uh, Joey Avi, you got to have other guys step up. You don't just replace that production.
1: If you can go back to this news from a couple weeks ago, since the last time we had a chance to sit down and do this, Scott Strickland being announced as Florida's athletic director. I'm curious both of your takes on that and, and what it means for the future for the Gators.
5: Uh, first impression, Adam, uh, you know, he came across really well. Uh, you look at his background. I really like his very background. I mean, he was AD at Mississippi State, and that's where he uh, went to school and started his uh, career in sports administration. But anyway, he he went from there. He's been at Tulane. He's been at Rice. He's been at Kentucky. Mississippi State. Florida will be his sixth school. Baylor, right? And Baylor, I'm sorry, and Baylor. Mm -hmm. So Florida will be his sixth school, and you look at that. I mean, he's got a wide range of experience that he's bringing. He's going to have probably more resources to work with maybe than he's had at his other stops so uh one thing he's known for is to you know his innovative ideas and uh looking toward the future and I think that's going to benefit him here because you come into a place like Florida where you do have some additional resources so maybe there's just some things that he's wanted to do in his career or has tried to do at these other places maybe he can do them here at Florida because he finally has uh has the resources and you know I thought he came across well in his press conference Adam I mean uh you know he uh, he had his family, his two daughters there, and uh, you could tell this was a big opportunity for him, obviously, and it had to be, as he said, for him to leave Mississippi State because he had a pretty good thing going there. I mean, he grew up there,
4: yeah, uh, went to college there, so I mean, all his roots. Mm-hmm. His his, uh, his wife is the daughter of one of the greatest of the greatest basketball player in Mississippi State history, and a uh, basketball Hall of Famer. So, you know, to, it it had to be a lure of Florida's caliber to get him out of there and you know Scott and I sat with him for an hour or a couple of days before I think the fact that like Scott said that he's been these places and had a chance to to be around so many people and and to cultivate his own culture if you will with with some guys I mean he was at Kentucky with the guy in the same office with the guy who eventually became Oregon's current AD obviously Kentucky's current AD and Arizona's current mm-hmm. AD now you have him now you have the, the Florida's current AD you're around some people that that know the business and you know may not agree about everything but you're exposed to a lot of other different things so I like the guy he's he's, he's what what is 46 years old 46 two um, two kids uh big baseball fan mm-hmm. um he he went to Mississippi State and, and, and kind of got things radical a little bit he managed to get Ben Howland who was recently of three final fours at UCLA to come to Starfield Mississippi and be the coach there oh that's a tough place to be successful and yet he'd get a coach like that so We'll see what happens. He's starting. Uh, we believe he's going to be at the uh, at the Florida Georgia game. I think is really like his first kind of crowning event. I think that's that's where we're headed with that. And uh, he'll hit the ground running. But I imagine he'll kind of see what's going on, get the lay of the land, and then uh, it'll take a few months before he probably finally puts it his his own kind of imprint on the things.
5: To me, you know, he did say that you know he's not Jeremy Foley, and he understands the tradition of Florida and the success they've had under mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy. Uh, I think he's just going to be a kind of a different voice. He's going to he's going to go about things differently in some areas, but ultimately, you know, he's he wants to win on the same pace that uh, the Gators did under Foley but it'll be it'll just be different, you know, as it always is when someone new takes over.
4: And I think it's it's he mentioned to us that one of his favorite quotes ever was "success is the enemy of innovation." That means to me that you know this doesn't matter how well things are going; they can be better, and we got to got to think of ways to make things better and he says he's all about remember how important he talked about the experience the game experiences uh-huh. so he's a person who's probably going to listen to listen to the fans a little bit and kind of take back and survey how that fan experience here, whether it's in the football stadium, whether it's in the O Dome, which is about to be finished with its sixty-five and a half million dollar renovation, and the baseball stadium, softball stadium, mm-hmm. all these things are online for this capital improvement project, hundred million dollar capital improvement project that he is going to now take over. So uh, he'll have his obviously his his a, a big hand in whichever direction all those things go and what they'll look like. So uh, I'm sure he's excited about the opportunity here. <laughs>
1: And that's going to do it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and please give us a review to help us continue to grow. We also encourage your feedback, so feel free to tweet us your comments at Gators Podcast or email gatorspodcast at gmail.com. The homecoming festivities begin Friday morning, but the game itself kicks off at 4 o'clock Saturday on the SEC Network and the Gator IMG Sports Network. Next week is Florida's official bye week, but we'll be back with a new episode on Thursday, so make sure you don't miss it. So until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.